welcome to episode 252 of Texting, hosted by myself, Justin Vincent, and Jason Roberts, coming to you from Chateau de Vincent again, another beautiful sunny day outside. Hey, Jason, how you doing? Good, good. Sorry I'm late. Traffic was uh, brutal. I think it's that uh, fire that's happening that has traffic screwed up all over around LA. There's a fire? Yeah, there's even smell the uh, the ash in the air. Uh, no, like was is it in Los Angeles or yeah, it's uh, on Glendora. It's I think it's affecting everything. So I mean, I don't know. I I don't know how to explain why there's so much traffic at three thirty or yeah, whatever in the afternoon. So oh, that sucks. Yeah, yeah. At our house, you could uh, at least last night you could really smell it in the air, even inside. Oh, just looking at Google yeah. right there. Yeah, Colby Fire, huh? Colby Fire, Northeast Los Angeles. Yeah, there's actually a fire named after my kid. That's crazy uh prompts air quality alert oh, i didn't jesus i wasn't even paying attention so do you you don't even normally leave the house during the day do you you don't really go anywhere no we walked around the rose bowl today an, Did hour, you? an hour and a half yeah and you didn't smell it no didn't huh. smell it well that's good i guess that's good news mm, yeah so how is you how are you enjoying your your new location being next to the rose bowl? are you taking advantage of it like you thought you were definitely i've been at least um four times for walks in the rose bowl in the last since week yeah not yeah. bad it's yeah. not bad good good do you like it i do like it yeah i haven't been swimming i meant to go swimming because yeah. like this you a talked swimming... a big game about all the swimming yeah. you're gonna do i mean i do have this whole this whole swimming kit right here but uh <laughs> i haven't done that yet i showed you this didn't i did i say about this on no. the show <laughs> so basically you you put your um phone in there and you can oh, swim laps listen to music and you can listen to audiobooks waterproof completely um, waterproof yeah phone holder was it going strap on your shoulder or it just goes around your waist on your waist, yeah, and you swim, and then it has like um, headphones that they're, they're actually really cool headphones. This, by the way, is called an X One, just mm-hmm. in case anyone's interested in it. It's basically an X One waterproof case, and then it, it comes with a headset, and it has like five different fittings for the headphones, going from kind of super small to super large. But what's good about it is the headphones actually totally can cut out noise as well. So if I was wearing it on the airplane, and um, you know, normally like screaming kids and stuff like that. Gets rid of all of that. So if the lifeguard is yelling at you, you're going to yeah, yeah. not hear him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's the downside. So do you swim to podcast or do you have like your Justin jams? Well, you know what? I've only used it once um, and that was before I moved <laughs> into the, the house. that was in the bathtub? Before, no. <laughs> that was before moving into the house. So um, I don't know yet. I'm thinking I did one around the Rose Bowl listening to podcasts and that was good. You know, do you have you joined the aquatic center yet? Not yet, no. Okay, so you have to. I join need to set for that up. It. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right, well, good. That's the that's the the great white hope. The great white hope. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, what what else is going on? What's new with you? Um, this last week we've been we've done a lot of work uh, with uh, Digidoo. I'll just show you mm-hmm. my completed tasks list. We've done a crap load of work for one of another way. Wow, another word, and um, we've got a new hire starting on Monday. Oh, so called, you got that through? Yeah, a guy called Miko. So, uh, and he lives in Kuala Lumpur. Kuala Lumpur, but he's Finnish. <laughs> he's yeah. a Finn. Yeah, he's a world traveler. Yeah, like he, he every year he moves to a different country or something like that. Yeah, and he's um, he's maintainer of um, about four different PHP extensions. One, mm-hmm. you know, including Image Magic. Mm-hmm. That's a couple of other ones. So he's yeah, he's he's a good guy. He's done a lot of good stuff. Well, that's good news. So yeah. now you're up to a team of four and a half. Yeah. All right. No, it's getting to it's getting to be an actual team. That's right. Yeah. So uh, that's good news. You know, actually, I just I read something that it made me think of you uh, or did you do? Which was there's an article called Inside Quizlet's Incredible Feedback Center. Mm-hmm. 
which you should read because I would imagine it could help you out. So what they did is they built this very elaborate feedback system that would tie into everything that was going on at the app at the time um, so that they had, they could sort of collate related issues. Anyone could respond. It would go out to the team. They could see who responded to what. They could see like, what were you doing? You were on what page? You're looking at what content and what school, you know, like everything was there. It was very, really nice log reader and, and everything. So, um, I don't know. I mean, I've, I've seen that kind of thing done, not maybe quite to that level, but when you have like a customer facing product like you do or consumer facing product where you have a great variety and of things that could be going wrong mm-hmm. at any given time, just because of the complexity and, and the, you know, the range of physical, um, tablet the type of tablets you have to, you know, who knows what's going on. They're all kind of issues. And so rather than wasting a lot of time trying to figure out, get to the bottom of something you can solve much more quickly. Yeah, we do. We do have some stuff. It doesn't sound like it's as um, sophisticated as, as what you're talking about. Well, you guys have been around like less than a year, right? Right. So but the fact we, you have anything is good. But <laughs> but we do have like you know any, for example, if there's any exception within the kind of Android side of things, it pushes stuff through. Uh, in the JavaScript side of things, it's not pushing stuff back. But we do we do get um, exceptions from the Android side of things, which has helped a lot with some of the core bugs. Well, rather than just ex- not only exception handling, yeah. which they have, but they actually have like feedback. So if someone's on a page and they can just say, uh, it's not scrolling correctly or this or that, they can just do the feedback. That's really oh. cool. And, it's, and it just sends the entire environment, all the like everything about the environment. Yeah, everything that's related yeah, and important. That good. And then it can go to the whole team and then or whoever you want it to go to so people can see the things that are going on so people have, there's more than one person knows what's going and on. And that's for kids in schools, is it? No, Quizlet's just like a, an overall, like a, like a trivia quizzing thing. I, I think you can create a list of items to be quizzed on or whatever but i think you'd have to think through that for kids in school like 14 year old kids who like pressing buttons and sending stuff so you'd have to kind of think it through a little bit like how to not get a thousand requests a day <laughs> you know but uh, it definitely is very cool well because you know i could imagine there could be a lot of issues you know with this because of the same the same constraint that you have 14 year olds there could be a lot of issues you don't know about mm-hmm. and they don't know how to complain about them and resolve so these things could be going on and you know they just kind of don't aren't, aren't dealt with and then you find out six months later that this school and all these kids have been having the same problem right you know i mean yeah it's tricky 14, well, we, dealing with kids is tricky right? yeah well, what, I mean, they, what they see at movies like directors like, i never work with kids or kids, are, or, kids or, or animals, animals. yeah <laughs> but i mean we do have like a lot of um support uh connection you know like they they, they talk to our support team and we have our um we call it professional development team who basically are on the line with the teachers every day, mm-hmm. just finding out, you know, did something go wrong? Did something go wrong? But um, the more automated, the better. That's what I, that's all I say. I mean, definitely Absolutely. just automated information. In fact, that reminds me that um, another thing that Miko has written was, um, I forgot what, I can't see the name of it right now. But, oh, Datadog, PHP Datadog, it's an extension. Mm-hmm. That's kind of like a, like something like New Relic where... So this this will work for any servers that we have deployed in the field. It right. will kind of report the state of the status of the server and all that kind yep. of stuff. Yep. So I think like on, on every level, like we want to know the status of tablets, we want to know the status of servers, we want to know the status of the cloud, we want to know the status of everything. Um, and I think that's as as I said to you, was it last show or the show before? I mean, that's a lot what this year is going to be about. It's like just really kind of stabilizing and professionalizing that kind of thing. Yeah. Well, that's that's something that I actually just. Um I've been working on recently, last couple of months, is a real-time dashboard for the mm-hmm. um, 
I guess the real time systems at Uber. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's when you have like, you know, back in the day when we would have like one node process per city and you had like right. three cities, it wasn't like a whole lot to keep track of, you know? And then now that we have just, I don't know, were we 65, 70 cities. I mean, I lose track because I don't keep track of it on a week to week basis, but it grows so quickly. And then, you know, this, it, huge number of workers that we have on a per city basis and all the things that they're doing and how they're shifting from server to server and stuff. So I built this pretty, um, pretty elaborate, um, uh, monitoring system has a lot of different panels and tabs and things or whatever you can do. And, and turned out that's been a huge deal because, um, as you can imagine, because when you get all this stuff going on and you, you don't have a lot of insight into what's going on, you can't, um, sort of interdict when things are starting to go, go, go wrong yeah right? you can look ahead and say oh wow you know it looks like we're running out of memory here or look like the the redis redis is having issues or it looks like we're, we're cpu bound on on these on this server whatever it is um so i've been working on that with uh, a developer at uber uh, by the name of george he's um he's been doing the back end stuff and so I, he's been sort of coming to me and says hey uh can we have like a a way to show this this and this and i'm like all right we'll just come up with the objects that you want to show and and then I'll then I sort of shoot something back over to him. So anyway, I just talked to Amos today. Amos runs the real time team in Uber, and um, he said that yeah, the the um, dashboard was incredibly useful for um, or has been incredibly useful, but it was specifically for New Year's because mm-hmm. when you have a huge spike, there's always this worry that things are just not going to hold up. Yeah, right. I'm like we're going to because usually there's something in order of a forty to fifty percent spike over our over our previous high. Yeah, so that's a lot to take a system. You know, and if things go wrong, it's not like you're in a laboratory, you're like, oops, I guess we got to figure this out. I mean, there are like, you know, hundreds of thousands of, you know, I don't know, maybe, maybe there are hundreds of thousands, maybe not hundreds of thousands of trips at the same time, but there are tens of thousands of trips probably going on at the yeah. same time. And so you can screw up a lot of people's lives. I mean, I was thinking that the other day, it's like, if, if I write something, if I create a bug, I can screw up more people's lives at Uber than probably the worst screw up at O'Hare can screw up the country. In, in terms of making people's lives suck. Isn't that a weird th- th- thought? It's also like, I'm just, just from a, a hacking point of view as well, you know, like that these kind of systems as well, you know, if like it's good that you guys have built something very r- robust and secure. Yeah, I mean, it, like I said, I mean, I'm not saying I'm, resp- I'm the only one who does it, right? Yeah. Anyone on the team who yeah. writes, who makes a mistake, that mistake can screw up more people's lives than like, you know, the worst polar vortex it can screw up you know, the entire Eastern Seaboard. That's how many people are using it at any given time, <laughs> which is which is a little, uh, which is a lot of pressure, right? So you got to be very, that's why you got to write lots and lots of tests and, and lots of simulations and have very good monitoring tools. In, um, in, have you started watching Almost Human yet? You know, we watched the first episode, but how, or first or second? I think we just first and we haven't really progressed. One of the things, um, <clears throat> one of the episodes that they do, one of the techniques that the bank robbers use is they basically screw up all the traffic around the bank and just leave themselves with one exit. Yeah. And they use systems, they, you know, they use system, they hook into systems like Uber and like hack it all out. And <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's, it, it's kind of amazing in one sense, how limited the, I don't know if the creativity of hackers has been in terms of what they've tried to take down. You know, they keep going for the same thing. Like their creativity has all been built towards taking down a system, but not in terms of the types of systems they take down. 
Right. You know what I mean? Like we'd be kind of lucky that the worst thing that they do generally is they go after a company like Sony or was it Gawk or but whatever, and get a bunch of in and try and get a user database and get some passwords and credit well, cards. Well, because luckily they don't have antisocial personality disorder and want to kill people, kind of thing. Well, that's not an antisocial personality disorder so much <laughs> as it could be just like a a political movement. Just like in uh, they could be like, hey, we're gonna like there was an episode in a Blacklist. You watching Blacklist? Mm, well, I've I've heard of it, but go on. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, there's an episode where the guy wants to crash the the uh, the financial system, right? You know, and yeah, yeah, it yeah. wasn't like a personality disorder is that he had fundamental problems with the fairness of the current financial system, right? But I mean, even the ANC movement, when it first started with Nelson Mandela, like they didn't try and kill people. They tried to kill, in, they, they tried to break infrastructure. Like, mm. so I don't know if everyone takes that really hard line approach, you know what I mean? Of like, doing stuff that's going to end up... Yeah, well, I'm just, all I'm yeah. saying is that yeah. you have lots of movies and TV shows about it, yeah. but in reality, it's usually just people going after credit cards or, or usernames and passwords. Good, I'm going to knock on wood for that one. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> it's just interesting how creativity can kind of be funneled because it takes a lot of creativity to break these systems, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you have to really... I'd be bright and have a lot of skills and tools, Um but it's just interesting they go after the same stuff. But mm, yeah, I don't know. Um, speaking of show, yeah, so Blacklist, I'd recommend that. It's pretty good. It is a good show. Once again, I mean, you've get, getting back you've to episode one, like they, they, Hulu do this thing where they only kind of show you the last five. So I don't want to watch something, just start it like, and I've missed out a whole bunch of episodes. Um, I don't know if it's on Netflix. I, don't, I doubt it. I don't know. It's on Amazon, but you have to like buy it. So I'm just kind of making the decision. Okay. It's like a dollar ninety nine an episode, right? I know, but that's like it's twenty bucks you to could, get going. <laughs> give me a whole twenty dollars. <laughs> well you figure you always figure No, I mean I, it's true. I mean I, we we just bought The Walking Dead. We bought episode one and two yesterday. In oh, fact, yeah. I'm sitting here and Georgie and Sarah Jane are sitting over there and I get an email. You just purchased The Walking Dead, $20, ding. Like, you just purchased Walking Dead episode, uh, series two, twenty dollars, ding. <laughs> so it's like yeah, that, that's we don't have a problem buying that stuff. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it's it's funny because if you if you think about um, how expensive your time is, and right. you can watch an hour show in forty minutes rather than sitting through commercials, mm-hmm. two dollars for twenty minutes of your time back. True, because of the commercials. Yeah. So a yeah, so a dollar for ten minutes. So that's basically if you're pricing two dollars for twenty minutes. So that's a dollar every so Hulu over Amazon. ten minutes. Hulu so six dollars an hour is pricing. If you're if you're if your time is worth more than six dollars an hour, then it is a net gain to buy an hour of commercial free stuff off of Amazon than it is to record it. <laughs> that's a that's a really interesting point. Did you just think of that right now? Yeah, that's good. I like it. Yeah. Well, I just. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we just that makes me just want to like never use Hulu again, just to buy everything. But uh, well, it's Hulu commercials. Yeah, Hulu Hulu is pretty much one of the only really successful implementations of commercials. The only way you can actually stop commercials on it is to just turn the audio off because you can't really f- channel change, right? <sighs> they forced three commercials in a row. You know, my There's- my father in law is a nightmare with the uh, the with the remote. So right. whenever there's a commercial, he either turns off. He t- for the, all the commercials, he turns off the sound. Right. Or he fast forwards through the commercials and then blows through another three minutes of the show <laughs> and it's back. And you're just like, dude. <laughs> well, they, they, they have you. And, um, you know, and but also they, they make you kind of choose what kind of commercial you're going to watch. Like, am I going to watch this tampon commercial? Am I going to watch this bank commercial? Am I going to really? watch this? Yeah. And it's, it's just annoying. But they've, they've kind of, they've really cornered you. 
So I guess it's kind of interesting. So if you're if if you have more time than money, then you want to use Hulu. If you have more money than time, then you want to use Amazon. But you th- are clearly in the more money than time. But there's category. only a slight problem with that, which is that I mean, because I, I gorge like when a show's really good. If I've got the time available, I gorge. So it's kind of the other way. Binge. Around. They call binging. Yeah. I just, I absolutely would just watch more shit. You know, I would spend my money faster, really. I just wouldn't watch ads. I spend my money faster. I'd watch more stuff. So you think it's kind of like the fact that they have like supersized Coke. Like it's bad for you that they can supersize your Coke at <laughs> McDonald's because you'll get the supersize. Exactly. Like you wish they didn't have a big cup because then you get the smaller one. So, so, the, so ad, you watch, the, ads, the ads kind of diluted a bit. They pad it out a bit. So, so it's painful enough that after watching like maybe an hour, like I can't, I can't watch more commercials. So you watch one show and you're like, I'm going to go exactly to bed. Whereas if it was like no episodes, you might watch like four episodes and the next day, like have like be all jittery because you didn't get enough sleep. Like, oh man, exactly. You'd be, you'd waste more time. Yeah, <laughs> that's the problem. That's an interesting. I I think that's a fair uh, <laughs> fair way to look at it. Um, so I'm trying to think of the TV show thing. I had something else to say about that. Um, so Blacklist, I give that a, uh, as a pretty good, I mean, it's, it's formulaic, but, uh, um, James Spader is just simply amazing. uh, Yeah. I heard he was really good at at acting in it. I mean, if he wasn't on the show and they just had some typical actor in there, it'd be a C plus. But like, when did James Spader become such an amazing actor? I mean, was he always an amazing actor? I mean, I remember, well, I don't remember people saying like when he was in Stargate that that made Stargate. Yeah, yeah. He was fun. But I remember somebody saying in, um, I was watching, it was some TV and reviewer analyst or something. It was like on NPR. Someone was on the, I remember it was in the I remember where I was when I was listening because I was in the car. And he was talking about how, and this is like four years ago maybe. And he was talking about how the shows are so much better than they used to be. And he was like, for instance, he's watching an episode of Boston Legal and it had, um, uh, Shatner and uh, a scene with Shatner and James Spader. And he's like, it was one of the best scenes he's ever seen <laughs> TV, movie, Any, anywhere anything, between yeah. the two of them. And they played the scene out and I'm like, yeah, yeah, it was. It was one of these scenes because he has that capacity. And so I think I think he probably won some awards for Boston Legal and stuff like that. I never watched the show, but I, I remember people talking about it. I don't know. Yeah. But cool. um trying to think if I had more to... Oh, <laughs> I had, haven't seen this yet, but I, I heard there's a um, there's a new show on the, on the National Geographic Channel, Nat Geo. Uh, it's a zombie like show called uh, Surviving the Apocalypse. And so what they do is they say like they say they try and you know because you're kind of capitalizing on the zombie tray. Everybody pay people watching Walking yeah, Dead and yeah. zombie stuff, World War Z kind of stuff. And so they said, all right, well, scientifically speaking, like what's the closest thing that could ever realistically happen and so they model something like was kind of kind of like the rage virus in 28 days later there weren't really zombies they were people who were struck with this sort of disease that made people just kind of become extremely aggressive and just kind of lose their mind yeah more like a rabies yeah and that's what they say like if if rabies became airborne okay and so they go through the whole thing so i think i'm gonna i'm set up the dvr to watch i mean we're 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 kind of 20 minutes in. I'm, I'm mindful of like spending too much time on this, but Walking Dead, right? It, it is kind of cool. I mean, oh, I, oh, oh. No, I remember. Wait a minute. You watched it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. How many shows? How many episodes? Uh, we're kind of, you know, halfway through season two. No, right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Do you like it? No, I, I had already seen season one. Do before. you like it? I do like it. All right. Like okay. It. Thank you. I'm I've so seen happy. season one before, and um, I don't, I'd even seen some of season two before, but just watching a second time you know, giving it a bit more of a chance. What I, what I do like about the writing of it that's very interesting 
is that it's um it's very there's a lot of very kind of quiet moments between people yep. there's a lot of real quiet moments between people and then it kind of like juxtaposes that against some just intense. madness some crazy intense scene so it really it that's why roller coaster it's like it's the dips and then the highs and then the dips and then the highs and it's very good writing that way i think it's really good and i'm always waiting for that for that guy with the one arm to come back oh and Earl. I, yeah now i i don't know whether he ever comes back but mm-hmm. uh, anyway i'm i'm like season two and he he still hasn't but it's always in the back of my mind it's like it's a great thing to set up right at the beginning of the show yeah you know, it's like there's this just this guy out there you know we don't really hear about him he's exactly. really angry he's, he's dangerous you know he's dangerous at any moment he could come back but yeah. we don't we don't know yeah well a couple <laughs> things i'll say about like Dead. it is a dangerous world <laughs> and anyone can die any multiple main characters can die in any episode and they do that to make sure you understand that it is dangerous so it pisses viewers off because they're like i love that character they're dead they're gone yeah like how do you kill off main characters but that's the reality of the world right you have to kill off main characters you can't if you can't feel like oh this person's always safe you know like you watch a protagonist like james bond you watch a james bond movie it doesn't matter what kind of situation exactly, he's yeah. gonna win so he's gonna get out of it but uh yeah and then what you're saying about the uh the slow moments is great because it makes it very human right, right. If these are real people even even though the shit's at the fan and the world is essentially destroyed humans are still humans and they still have hopes and dreams and love and disappointment and all that kind of stuff. And so when you mix that in, it makes it very real as opposed to these crazy B zombie movies where all it is is people yeah. running around shooting zombies. It's like, you just, you can't really empathize with them because it's just sort of like, you don't have any time to get to know them as human beings. We're here. They focus a lot on people grappling with the reality of that world. And you have a you huge know. range of people of like how, how they deal with it. How they deal with it. How much they accept it. Are they Some people be suicidal? Are they going to be angry? Like you have Shane, for instance, and he's like, it's on. Like, yeah. you know, we have to focus. It, it, it doesn't matter what your morals are. I think if you want to survive, this is what you got to do. We have other people who are still kind of trying to uphold certain certain morals, you know, and, and, and their humanity. And it's, it's really interesting. And and it, it really, as it goes on, you know, I mean, the whole story is about... Can people hold on to their humanity? I mean, even the, like, or can they survive? And if I'm they not giving anything me. away when no. I say about Shane having an affair with what's his name's wife because that's from episode one. That's yeah, yeah. right, right. Mm-hmm. Like, even that storyline is just like amazing. He's just on the edge of your seat the whole time. Like, just you know, what when you know what's going to happen? Like, is he ever going to find out? How are they going to maintain this this friendship, this relationship? Like, what the hell? You know, you know what's interesting too is uh, well, a couple of things I say. But first of all, they're going to have a spinoff show. I think I mentioned that in a previous. Oh show. right, no, I, it's, I, I didn't catch that. I think it's going to start next year. It's a whole spinoff series. It's going to be another part of the world. This is going to go on. It's going to be completely disconnected. Oh, that's good. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that'd be interesting. The second thing is, you know, the comic book series that this is all based on is um, apparently it's fantastic. So a lot of people who read that, but seeing it, who read that and watch the show. But the thing is, is that. It's similar to the show, but it's a, it follows a different. They they just do things with different characters. So imagine if you're you're writing this story and you just say, okay, I could either let this character live or die, or this happens or that happens, and you just kind of make different decisions, at different points. So certain characters that died off live for a long time. Certain that lived die off for a long. So it's certain, different between the comic and the show. So yeah, yeah certain characters is like this was kind of two characters. They kind of merged it into one on the TV show, mm-hmm. but. So just because people had read the comic books doesn't mean that they're gonna. They didn't know what was gonna happen, which made it great for all those, all those view, all those readers, all those fans of the comic book, because they're like, 
Okay, yeah. so I get to kind of take a have a take on it. So anyway, I mean, it's a good show. I'm going to keep on watching it. Like awesome. we've we've got season two queued up. Um, I think uh, my sister and my wife already have watched the first couple of episodes, so I need to catch up. So. I, I want to ask you one question: Does it get you jittery? Does your adrenaline go get going? I can't sleep after I watch it. It doesn't, you know. I mean, it do, it does them, but it doesn't me, and I don't know why that is. I'm just not scared of things like that. Um, but what it does make me do a lot is go, throw the gore gets you. Yeah, like I'm just like, ugh, like, ugh, like, ugh, looking at that <laughs> thing. I just, I, I just like, I, I don't want to look at that thing. They're showing me something that I just don't want to look at. It's like, it's like, you know, when when they're searching through someone's stomach to see if they they, they blow up a zombie, and and then they're worried that some kid's been killed. The only way they're going to know whether the zombie at the kid was to like open it up and like look through the stomach contents. Like, I don't want to watch that. That's just like, <laughs> just like, <"Ugh." laughs> but I'm kind of like holding up my hand, but like leaving little cracks huh. so I can look through, you know? Yeah. So that stuff doesn't bother me, but my adrenaline gets going. That's interesting. Yeah. Because cool, you're putting yourself probably in the position of Shane or what's the other guy? Nick, Rick, Rick, you know, yeah, you're, I, you're I, like, what would I do in that situation? I always do. That's why I like lost so much, especially the yeah. first season, because I spent my whole time problem solving and putting myself in their shoes. Yeah, I ever took this test one time and it was like a personality test. Like, which character would you be like? You know, a certain scenario. Someone shows up. There's two people. They have guns. You have guns. What do you do? <laughs> Turns out I was a Rick. <laughs> I basically made all the same decisions as a Rick made. <laughs> wow, you were really into it, dude. <laughs> I don't know. It was just like one thing I just always like on like, you know, a major website. And I just, uh, you know, which which Walking Dead character are you? You know, it's ah, like 10 questions. So apparently I'm a Rick. Yeah. Well, that's cool, man. Well, at least we can talk about it mm. um, and bore people on the show a little bit. Well, except for the fact that we don't want to give anything away, really. It makes it a little tough. Well, then I have to wait till you get caught up four seasons. All right. So, um, okay. I want to, I'm going to, um, I'll talk about the thing that's, uh, most on my mind, which is, you know, I, I told you I, I'm, um, Sandy and our coaching math, the, yeah, math the team, Colby's yeah. fourth grade math team. So, and you, you remember how last show I was saying how I had this big idea of like how I thought I could get the kids to blow through a couple years of math and like to maybe potentially even like teach the class next year or whatever, but I was trying to think like, how do I hack the system? Like, how do I, how do I make it so that, you know, I can go to a public school and make it so that I can do something at that scale without there being like regulatory mm -hmm. bureaucratic problems, stomach blocks. Yeah. So, you know, I've been kind of thinking and planning and scheming like, okay, so how do I pitch it to them and everything? And so then, um, I just happened to go in to, uh, take the kids in on Wednesday morning um, you know, I walk into school some of the, some some days, and uh, I see the, the the gifted talented coordinator. She's the one who runs this this. She's the one who recruited us to do this kind of stuff. And I sat down with her, and I said, "Hey, so I, I got an idea." So I basically kind of said, "Here's my here's my secret plan." And before I even kind of finished even describing it, she was like, "Oh yeah, that would be great." <laughs> I'm like, "So like, if I got them to be able to like maybe take a test and prove that they're pretty much." had mastered fifth grade math that they can just be exempted from fifth grade math next year and then they can just use their time they might have a math class working on our stuff and then we could do sixth and seventh grade math mm. you know maybe even some of eighth grade math next year and uh i said so you're gonna have to go there during school school day then yeah well right now we just do tuesdays and thursdays from 12 to 1 okay so i during their lunch time and then i grab lunch after. so basically you're going to take over one of their classes one of their actual regular classes well the the yeah because one thing i said to her was like well what the, one of the things that's a little bit of a uh, isn't great is that we do it during lunchtime. So the kids bring their lunch 
And so for the first 10 or 15 minutes, they're kind of eating, you know, which is not terrible, but it's like, you know, they should have their lunch and they should be able to go do what they want and have kind of a recess, you know, and I can understand for a few months doing this, but all year long, not getting lunch two or three times a week would be kind of annoying, I mm-hmm. think. And so I mentioned to her, I was like, is there any way that we could get some time? And at first she's like, well, I don't know, because they're all, all the kids in different classes and they all do, each teacher arranges their day in their own way, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, when you're at fifth grade, you don't have like different teachers for different classes. It's just one teacher, right? Yeah, yeah. And she said, you know, maybe what we could do is we could split the kids in two, separ- two of the classes and then we can get those two teachers to agree that they teach math at the same time. Mm-hmm. And then when that math happens, they just leave their class and come work with us. That makes sense. So it's only two people to to get to change their schedule kind of thing. Which, you know, you could probably get two teachers to agree. Yeah. If you said, look, you're going to get half of the, half of these advanced math kids. And, um, less for the teachers to do as well, you know, yeah, have a smaller can, class. Well, yeah, well they can focus on the kids that need more help. Yeah. Right. Like we, we got that. So, um, and it was funny. So I was kind of, <coughs> when I was sort of hatching my plan, like how do I, who do I talk to? Or do I, <coughs> do I talk to Mrs. Stucky, who's the, the gate coordinator, or do I talk to um, the principal? You know, because I didn't want to, I was like, what if Mrs. Stucky says no, and then, then I'd have to go overhead and cause a problem, or if I went overhead anyway at first, you know, like, how do I do this? So I'm talking to her in her office, and then the principal walks by, uh, Dr. Alba is his name, and he walks by, and he's like, and she says, oh, you know, Jason they uh, and Sandy, they want to take this more seriously and, and, and do more math competitions and have them just, you know, skip out of fifth grade math. He's like, Oh yeah, that sounds great. That sounds great. <laughs> yeah. Like he just <laughs> like, but I had this whole pitch. It's <laughs> like working on my, you know, uh, my whole plan, how to convince you. But they were like, yeah, like, well, you know, we have some gate money and you know, all this. And I said, look, you guys don't even have, you don't have to pay us, you know, uh, we'll make up the difference financially if, if there's no funding for it, we buy the books or whatever. I, I don't care about that. And, um, but I want to get these kids in. There's a lot of different math competitions and math Olympiad and all these different things. And, um, yeah, so that's, I want to blow this thing up. You know, I think we could get these kids. I think we could do something amazing. Right. And so they were all like, yeah, yeah. And I said, oh, and, you know, I've been teaching this programming class called Catalyst and, you know, da da da. And he's like, really? He's like, think you can teach a programming class here? <laughs> I was like, well, well, actually, I know this guy, Justin. Maybe he could. All <laughs> uh, right. <Yeah>. Awesome. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it was just incredibly exciting because they were so supportive and enthusiastic. And they were like, yeah, you know. Well, about absolutely. teaching a programming class there, like, do they have a classroom that we could mm-hmm. use instead of that church? Um, yeah. I mean, if we, if we did something. A proper can, classroom. Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, if, if we said we wanted to do some things, I mean, look, they're very open. Yeah. They're limited in resources in terms of money, but they're very, they have space and they're very, they seem very flexible and like wanting to allow cool things like this. Do they have Wi-Fi? That's what they're working on. They're talking about the district. He's like, we're trying to get better Wi-Fi or getting Wi-Fi. So I could talk to him more about that. Okay. But um, I really like the principal. Sandy's on the PEF, which is the Pasadena Education Foundation Board. Yeah. Um, and they work with the principal. So she, Sandy knows him. And of course, we're always at the school walking the kids. Oh, that's back. great. So, yeah. so uh, we have a pretty good rapport with them. So that's that was really cool. So we'll find out more what's going to happen in the next few weeks because I'm going to set up a meeting with all the parents. I'm going to bring them all to school and say, this is this is the. So do you have thing. any software ideas to merge with that or like your Snap Learn system or? Well, actually, um, okay. So there's, yeah, I'll, uh, there's, there's, there turns out that there's two really cool 
sort of um, what I call web-based drilling systems that are that have content for this. One is called Adapted Mind. Oh, so you've seen this already online, yeah. It's free for public schools. Oh, wow. And they have like hundreds of questions per drill. And like for like, they have fourth grade, third grade math, you know, kindergarten all the way through sixth grade math. And so, oh. and so I just found out about it the other day and I just saw it. And I'm like, this is amazing. So rather than me saying, well, here are 10 problems on factors and multiples, I can yeah. say, do this drill, do this drill, do this drill. And they can blow, and they do them online and they can blow through. Is them. it like Snapler? It's very similar to the oh, wow, concept okay. of Snapler, except it already has all of their. All so the you math. don't have to get all the content written. So that's no, great. So, so what we can do is rather than us saying, having to make up homework problems and grade homework, I can say, all right, guys, try and do these five drills tonight. Mm. You know, as a minimum, go as fast as you can. Anybody get, and I'm thinking like doing like anybody can get through 10 gets, we'll go, if we everybody get through 10, we'll get ice cream or I'll bring in stuff like, you know, cause it's so easy to bribe kids. They just love that stuff. <laughs> and plus they're all kind of, and I'll talk about this in a minute. They're all pretty enthusiastic. Mm. And, but this is all basic skill stuff. Like they learned a fundamental skill. Like how do I do a prime factorization of a number? Rather than me spending five minutes doing it on the board and doing my homework problems and grading it, they can just blow through that. Then we can focus on what you'd call the non-routine problems. Like how do you really solve hard problems? Like this is not an obvious, here's a problem and there's no obvious way to solve it. You have to use your brain. And that's what the math competitions are about. They're not like, you know, do you know basic math facts? It's like, can you use your brain and solve a hard problem? So this software can teach them words and paragraphs and you're going to teach them how to write a story. Yeah. I mean, how do you use math as a tool? Like this teaches you the basic skills. And this is like, and you know, I don't know, like in karate, this teaches you how to punch and kick. We're <laughs> going to teach you how to spar. Like this is, we're going to go in and use the tools to, 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 to effect. And um, so anyway, what well, the other thing was interesting is, um, I went into we went into class on Thursday after having talked to uh, Mrs. Stuckey and, and, the, and the principal, Dr. Albert, and I said, um, and uh, we were, I was waiting for the kids, you know, because it takes sometimes a few, kids, a few minutes for the kids to show up because they're all getting their lunch and they're coming, they're all coming from different classes. And I was counting the kids. I'm like, where is uh, Trey? And they're like, well, Trey's, Trey quit. I was like, what? You know? <laughs> and so I, and, but then Trey walks in like two minutes later and he's like, I didn't quit. What are you guys talking about? You know? <laughs> and so, but then it got me thinking like, okay, I need to explain them what the secret plan is because these kids sort of pretty much just think this is just for like a math competition at the end of March. And they know only eight kids of the 17 are actually going to compete. So they might, there could be a part of them that says, oh, I don't want to do this extra homework or extra stuff. Because I may not be one of the kids. Yeah, I'm not going to be one of the kids. And I said, all right, guys, everybody here, I want you to listen. I'm going to tell you my super secret plan. They're like, What's your super secret plan like? All right. And so I told them, I said, look, I want, I want to get you guys through fifth grade math by the end of the year. You guys will be exempted out of fifth grade math. You won't even go to your own math class. Next year, we're going to do like two years of math. I want to compete against schools all around the country in these, these national math competitions. I'll make you guys one of the best math teams in middle school. <laughs> and they're like, literally their eyes just got three times the size. I mean, they're like jumping out of their seats. They were jumping out of their seats. They were so excited. You know, they're like, wow, you know. I mean, it was funny seeing that kind of enthusiasm. And, um, but I had to get them to get excited and buy in because I didn't want anyone quitting or dropping out before we had a chance to do it. Like, it's not just about this math meet, guys. Like, sure, we're going to have to pick eight kids to do it, and that'll just kind of depend on who's doing the best in the few weeks preceding it or whatever, who's most first, first long. But you know what? Most of these math competitions is an entire class. Like, we have 17 kids, but we're going to compete against teams that have 30 kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I need all of you, right? Yeah, I yeah. mean, this is, and uh, whatever. So, um, anyway... That's They're all great. super, super fired up. I got so full it's back kind of like school. your new cobalt. 
Yeah, like I started the soccer team. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it, yeah, it's like I came in, I want to start a soccer team, and I was like, all right, how do you do it right? Like, I want to be one of the best soccer teams in the country. And we did. We became one of the very best men's soccer teams in the country. We, we were the highlight, I guess, to show, to demonstrate that was that we were invited to do an exhibition match against a first tier MLS soccer team. We, the Chivas USA, USA invited us to, to do a friendly match with referees and the lights. It's a pro soccer team. And imagine what kind of baseball team you'd have to go for the, for the Dodgers, the Red Sox, to say, we want to play against you. <laughs> or the Lakers. In yeah. I mean, that's the level we were at. I mean, we got beaten for sure, but, you know, we you could tried. do it. You played your hearts out. We got there. We did it. You know, I mean, you know, these are these. I mean, these guys trade twice a day, six, five, six days a week. We train. We don't train. We just yeah. play matches and maybe practice once. It's a totally week. different. Yeah. But uh, it's fun to uh, it's fun to build stuff up. It's fun to get people excited and and say, look, I'm not talking about just building a year ahead. What about three years ahead? What about four well, years. Well, how ahead? long would you take it? I mean, would you take that team for the next five years, kind of thing? Yeah. Well, I. Yeah, so that's what Sandy said to me. She's like, well, what are you going to do? You know, next year, third year? I'm like, listen, if we get this going, I wouldn't want to band it after next year. If I get these kids up to... So what would be the age- penultimate? Like, what would be the final play? I mean, the... the oh, well, look. Where does it go? If you know, First, it's K through eight, right? Yeah. I mean, if I had them in fifth grade, finished with either seventh or eighth grade math, going into algebra or whatever, and I mean... Then the sixth through eighth grade, you know, I mean, we could, I could have them done with mostly high school math by down there even going into high school. We could be competing against the top in the in the top math competition around the country. We could be competing against high schools. We could be, you know, placing in all these major major um, Olympiad math Olympiads and stuff. You could do amazing things potentially. I mean, you know, there's a certain amount of raw talent, right? So I'm picking from a school of so what? There's maybe like 150 kids. So I'm picking. You know, the top kids out of that, as opposed to like, you know, you're talking a nation full of kids, right? So, you know, but if you train kids the right way, you train them early and they're enthusiastic and, stuff, uh, and everything, I mean, you can you can accomplish great things. And I'm not saying that like the, the goal is to like win the Math Olympiad gold medal or something in high school. I mean, you know, but when these kids are that far advanced and are that good, it's life changing, right? Because I noticed when I got to college, I mean, there's, there's, there's two kinds of disappointments that can happen to people. There, there's, there's a lot of times there are people who, you know, who, who are come from poor areas and have poor schooling and they have, and they struggle in college and, and they're, and they're a certain, and those, their dreams are crushed, right? Because they really can't do it because they had poor preparation. I saw the same things happen in college where people came and they were one of the smartest math or science people from their school and they just got smoked in Chicago. They came in and there were people who had been doing calculus since 10th grade and mm. doing independent research stuff and competing on, you know, national math championships. And it was just, they just couldn't compete. This weren't there. And then they had to drop. They had to like do something like, well, I'm going to do poli sci or something because I can't, I wanted to be a physicist. I, I just, yeah, it's just, they just, you know, sometimes it's just two or three weeks and they're like, well, I'm just so out of my league. It's not even So funny. in a sense, it's about options. It's like options that starts off early. So you want to give Colby and all of the other kids as many options as possible. And it's, you've, you've got it also athletically as well as kind of mentally. Right. And Staying pro- programming. As Paul Graham would say, you stay upstream, keep your options open. You have to solve really hard problems and keep your options open. Yeah. And when you do, and as I was telling, explaining to the kids, like when you do things and you become really, really good, and you get you get a lot of special options that no one else gets. 
And that's just the truth about life. You know, if you're one year ahead in math, everyone's like, oh, that's good. You're good at math. Or two years ahead, like, wow, that's really impressive. When you're four years ahead, people are like, that's like something that's on NPR, right? People start talking about it. And once <laughs> you get an article on Wired about that, like, how is this happening? You know, all of a sudden it starts changing conversations about what might be possible. But even aside from PR stuff, I mean, for the kids themselves, I mean, there's a lot of things that would say like, that are just shut off from people because they're not mathematically fluent. If you said, if you said to me, oh, you know, I want to go work for, Mar- I want to go work for one of these companies that like SpaceX or something, and I want to work in their, their space design stuff. I'm like, you're just no, you're, just, you know, you're, you're so, it would take you four years of, of, of intense math study to even be able to be a part of that. <laughs> you just don't, it's like saying you want to move to the U.S. and and, and, and don't speak Eng- and you don't speak any English and you want to be like you know doing something that requires fluency in English. It's like oh, it's nice that you want that, but it's like you're so far behind. And I see I see this kind of questions on Hacker News all the time. People say, "Oh, you know, I want to learn math. I want to do this and that." And, and all of a sudden, all these people are, are suggesting, "Well, you should do all of these books and all these courses." And it's like you can tell it's like six years of math. It's just shut off. Like the whole language of math. It's like you you either people. There's usually kind of two groups of people. They're the people who, 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 who sort of escape the atmosphere, you know, so to say, escape the gravitational, uh, Earth's gravitational field, which is like the, they get to graduate level math and physics. And then, in which case, even if they forget it, they know enough, they can always come back and refresh their memory, but they can solve extremely hard math problems. And there's everybody else who falls back and they're not comfortable with anything above basic arithmetic and simple algebra. They're like, I, I forgot all that. I don't trust my brain and nobody's going to pay or trust my decisions based on math. So you're out. Yeah. You're in or out. And I saw that I just saw it happen. I just saw it happen to some people. And so I'm like, I know for Colby, he loves engineering, you know? Um, and I'm like thinking, you know, you don't want to show up if you do one of these top schools and have one year, year of calculus in your belt, because you're probably going to get smoked by all the people from China and Japan and Eastern Europe. They're just mm-hmm. going to smoke you. You're going to have no shot because they're going to have, multiple years of more advanced math and you're just going to be frustrated and humiliated and you're going to drop out and you're going to do something that you don't love. It sounds like you're being a great dad. Well, I try, you know, I love my son, right? <laughs> but also I find this fun. It's, it's like I've been, I've, cause you know, I started teaching myself math. You know, I taught, I talked about this a long time ago, but I taught myself calculus when I was in ninth grade <clears throat> at the behest of my, um, my advisor, um, the math, teacher and he was a physicist and amazing guy. I told you Steve Segar, I've talked about him a lot. Um, he, uh, he got me on that path. And, uh, and ever, ever since then, I would always analyze how, what was hard to learn, why it was hard to learn, how much the actual classes that were teaching it or the books just sucked. And I would be like, this sucks. Like I could, why is it making it this hard to learn this? And then when I learn it and I'm like, I can explain it to you in an hour. I could teach you like months in an hour. Why is this take like, 200 pages and just pain and suffering and confusion and you still don't really understand it. So, yeah. you know, yeah, that's, that's what I think about it. So anyway, I'm, I don't mean to go on and on about it. Sorry, I took so much no, time. No, 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 that's no, fine. It's fine. Um, did you hear about <coughs> Dropbox raising 250 million at a $10 billion valuation? How much? They've raised 200? 250 million at a $10 billion valuation. Yeah. Wow. I didn't hear that, but that's amazing. That's, <laughs> When did that come out today? Yep, <laughs> that's pretty. Um, pretty yeah, pretty impressive. Um, I guess that's a black swan right there. Yeah, you know, well, it was one of those things where when Dropbox first came out. Yeah, I see that number one hacker news. So when it first came out, um, 
or when he was first pitching the idea, was like a lot of there were a ton of existing um, you know, storage in the cloud, things like X Drive and iDrive. Yeah. And there are a bunch of them. They all came even during the dot com area. It was nothing new. And but at the same time, people didn't really use them. So they weren't done because they weren't done very well, I guess. Mm. It, it reminds me of like the transition, it, it, as you describe it there, it reminds me of like the transition between AltaVista and what SpiderWeb or whatever it was. And then along comes Google. Mm-hmm. And it's just this kind of infinitely better product that just really does it well. And so these guys have done the same thing. Yeah. I mean, I think it's it's not just that they had a better product. And and I don't know if Dropbox was infinitely better. It was better than XDrive because I used XDrive. It was better. You know, it wasn't like, wow, XDrive just sucked and Dropbox is amazing. It was better. But it had- other things happened in that interim. Like when XDrive was around, I mean, this was in the, in the late 90s, early 2000s. So broadband is getting faster and faster. Mm-hmm. Things like Dropbox become easier and easier to use or more usable because, you know, rather than being on a, on a you know, 250 kilobit up DSL connection, now I'm three megabits up and down cable connection or whatever. Or like, so people all of a sudden are willing to back up hundreds of megabytes they, regularly. They also had some great growth hacking ideas. I mean, mm-hmm. the way that they growth hacked it, they gave you this percentage free and if you brought they gave you a certain amount of uh, megabytes free or gigabytes free. And then if you bring people on, you get extra gigabytes. By yeah, it was like 250 megabytes. megabytes for every person you brought so on. So or- that is really good growth hacking strategy that I don't think that the other guys had used before. And no. also the whole design of it, the whole look and feel of it, very, very friendly, you know, just, it was just all, the whole thing was polished really nicely. Yeah. and But the early version, I see... I think one thing we have to be careful to look back at, I'm not sure the early version was that polished. It was more polished. Mm-hmm. I think it was a combination of timing, a little mm-hmm. bit of luck. Yeah. It was the right time. That's These other guys right. were a little early. Sometimes it, it's not about just being late. It's just being a little early. Yeah. And sometimes you're early by a year or two. And you see that happen. I think YouTube, had, there, was, there were YouTube-like things around a year or two before that, and they were just a little too early because the cameras weren't, the digital cameras weren't there and the broadband. Flash wasn't there. And the, but all the stuff kind of came in right at the right time. So... But they, I mean, I'd have to, you'd have to really look and see what XDrive or what these other ones were doing at the time versus Dropbox, but I'll take your word for it that it was a better user interface (laughs) at that time. But yeah, they certainly did the growth hacking, but they didn't do that at first. They initially did not do the reciprocal um, referral program. I mean, the reciprocal referral. So it wasn't like, if I invited you, we both got 250 megabytes. If I invited you, I got 250 megabytes. So when when they made it reciprocal, when they figured out that like, people feel a little weird recruiting other people when it's only for their own benefit. If mm-hmm. they say, hey, dude, do this, we'll both get 250 megs, then there's nothing socially awkward about that. Yeah. You know, but they figured that out later. I remember that was, that there was stories about that, like there was blogs about that mm-hmm. at the time. Yeah, yeah. people kind of wrote about it and said, this is something we figured out. So, you know, and then they did the email launch page thing, which is a simple video, like a mock-up video, and they got a pre-list of stuff. So they did some the landing page thing. but as well i mean they made it so easy to do things like sharing like so you can share links you can share folders you know you can just kind of create a dropbox link and then people started building dropbox websites and all that kind of stuff so they, they made that really really viral as well so they just they just totally viralized their product on every level i think yeah I, I, and i think what it also illustrates is that sometimes you just you do you get a little lucky and you do a, you make a couple of smart decisions you, you do some good product development and it gets you enough of an opportunity to make more good decisions. 
over mm-hmm. time, right? Like, you know, they, you know, they they did the smart idea about getting uh, the viral video on Dig that uh, the landing page that got them a bunch of attention, a bunch of preliminary users, and then they did enough a good enough job on the product itself, integrating with Windows and Mac or whatever to make that work, and and then so it got them in the game, and it turned out it was a good timing maybe with the broadband. Um, uh, and everything. So then they made all these other viral things. They just keep adding, and that's what the execution is all about. Execution is like we had one good idea. It's like you had a f- one or several good ideas clustered at the same time that got you out of the gate. That gave you the time to have lots more good ideas. But in the meantime, there was always this background chatter about G Drive, right? Mm-hmm. Google Drive. So you they did, but they didn't pay any attention to that. And and Google did have, and finally Google came out with Google Drive, and it's just there's just no comparison, you know. No, I why mean, is that? I never used, I never really looked at it. Well, it's it, because Google are trying to they they tried to f- they basically want to merge G Drive with the whole Google Apps thing. So basically, when you save your Excel document in Google Apps, it's on your G Drive as a X well as as a kind of Google version of an Excel document. So because they're kind of trying to merge those two concepts. I think that's the problem. Like you can't really think of G Drive like a G Drive when it's also totally integrated with some kind of web system. Mm-hmm. Do you know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's the reason why I don't think of it that way. And I think it's things like that that have made people a little less fearful of Google. Yeah. Yeah. Because everyone, there was a long time, you know, around 2004, five, six, seven, oh. where people it was called the Google nuclear winter. <laughs> so it was like the first question that investors would ask you would be. Well, what's your what? What do you do if Google comes to this market? Right, and everybody was like, you know, I had to come up with some kind of really clever bullshit to explain Which why. How they, they, yeah, well, because, yeah, they said it before about Microsoft. Before it mm-hmm. was like Google took the position of Microsoft in that way. Yeah, exactly. Well, what if they come into your market and in it, you know, Microsoft or okay, Google has has succeeded wildly with some of our products, but a lot of their products have just been duds. Or they just haven't gained any traction. And just because Google decides to do something doesn't mean that anyone's really going to care that much. They're doing a lot of things. Like I told you, going into extended life, mm-hmm. um, you know, with Aubrey de Grey. Uh, the other thing that, like, con- the con- contact stuff. lenses, contact lenses that check your blood glucose mm-hmm. level. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you know, self-driving cars. Uh, but I think it's awesome. I like the moonshot stuff. I mean, what's moonshot? A moonshot meaning you shoot for the moon. You shoot for the moon. Like oh, you're yeah, going yeah. big. This isn't like, you know, it's like the opposite of most of your bootstrapping startups. Like, hey, I'm gonna like check what the traffic <laughs> is for a quest under landing page and see if I can do some conversion. You know, I mean, it's like, it's, you know, we're gonna do something. There's a good shot that this is never gonna work, but if it does, it could be world changing, right? And so you figure if you're Larry Page or Sergey Brin and you're like, we're worth billions, I can do. We can do anything we want. So what do we want to do? We are technologists, engineers, scientists at heart. We have this massive laboratory. Brain pool. Uh, massive brain pool. These incredible resources. What do we want to do? It's like, I want to change the world. I want to build things that are going to... I want to create the future that I had imagined might exist. And it's kind of the stuff that Peter Thiel had complained about. It's like, oh, we, 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 we were expecting flying cars and we got 140 characters, that famous <laughs> line is, you know? And, you know... But they don't even get trapped by their own, we're here to organize the world's information. Like, I mean, like contact lenses to check your, your glucose level really has nothing to do with organizing the world's information, right? So they just basically say, okay, is that interesting to us? You know, I mean... Uber, which is a big investment of theirs. I mean, obviously, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. they do big investments as well. 
So, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty astonishing. I mean, that's what happens when you get people as smart and as those guys, people who are is educated and as curious and who are fundamentally creators and builders at heart. You know, and they get billions of dollars. They're like, I'm going to create and build. I'm not just going to buy companies and flip them and try and make more money. They're not just investors. They're creators. You know, like you're like Elon Musk. You know, they're, they're just like, and they have massive resources so they can do this stuff. So it's it's awesome, man. I mean, we're, we're, we're lucky that this has happened, that you have those kind of people with those kind of resources because this stuff ultimately will benefit us and our world, the world we live in, you know? Yeah. I mean, if you had just a bunch of professional manager MBA types, you know, who uh, who ran all these companies you wouldn't see this kind of stuff at all. Yeah. You know, and you wouldn't see companies like SpaceX or Tesla for the most part Um, because they're moonshots in a certain degree, right? (laughs) Yeah. They're just, they're they're kind of crazy. Yeah. So, Oh, I want to talk about something. Go on. So uh, there was a a blog that was titled value is created by doing Mm -hmm. and uh, by Sam Altman. I'm not sure who that is. I guess he's, he may have done some startup stuff, but for some reason, it's a good name. Is it? Well, Sam Altman. Why is that a good name? Sam Altman's your friend. Sam Altman builds things. Just sounds like it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so uh, he um, basically is talking about how it's so easy to fool yourself into thinking you're making progress. You spend a lot of time doing meetings and, you know, kind of talking to people and networking and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I've noticed that that stuff obviously is important. We've talked about how important it is that you to get out in the world, talk to people, talk to customers. I mean, you, you can't just sit behind your computer and write code all day if you want a successful company. That's a necessary but not sufficient condition is, is just building something. But he's forward. talking about the opposite end of the spectrum where you're just too out there and you fool yourself into thinking that you've done something. You just burn a ton of time talking to people. And I felt that way at times too where I, I spend, and I was complaining a little bit about last week. It wasn't, a lot of the phone calls were less about me trying to gain leverage in my own life. It was just helping other people, which is different, which is fine. You know, and in fact, it's something that is important to me, as you pointed out. So I do it. But sometimes I've gotten a situation where I spend a lot of time meeting with people because there's, you always feel like, well, I should at least have a meeting or I should just have a conversation because you never know. But a lot of times it just burns time and you don't get anything done. And like, you just have to shut it down. And I get burned out on that stuff really quickly. I get kind of irritated. You know, it's like I, you know, it's like when people say, hey, let's go meet for lunch somewhere and like drive across the city or whatever. And you're like, I want to burn like three or four hours of my day doing that. Right. And so now I'm kind of mentally retracting from that. It's like I got to hunker down and just crank on stuff. Well, like when people send us emails and say, why don't you guys come to MicroConf? Well, what do you think about that? No, I think that's, I think that's, I was just using that as an example. So, that that would be burning time. I mean, we don't get huge amounts, huge benefits out of going to MicroConf, but we would still probably go, would we? At or? this point, well, the reason that well, you're not in a position you need to, right? At Digidoo is not mm. is not sort of. I mean, MicroConf is really geared towards I mean, giving I, tactics to bootstrappers. I would I would actually have to take vacation, paid time off to go to MicroConf for this stage. Would you? Definitely, yeah, yeah, because it's it's during the week, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Well. Just depends. See, I guess they don't remember. I don't remember. They, they, they have at least a few days during the week, anyway. Yeah. Yeah, maybe it is. I, I don't remember. So, um, yeah. I mean, if you're if you're launching or want to launch a bootstrap startup and you need to learn the real uh, tactics about how you do it, 
uh, you know, how do you do the marketing? How do you do the pricing? How do you do find partners or whatever, all those things. I mean, that's the place you go. I mean, that's mm-hmm. that they have the most actionable information you're going to find. Um, but the if question, you can get a ticket. Um, I know that the tickets available through the, um, micropreneur Academy mm-hmm. are all gone anyway. Oh, are they? Yeah. Okay. But, uh, I'm, I mean, I don't know about the, the, the main ticket sale. I mean, microconf.com for, if you want to go check it out. Right. Right. So, um, yeah, anyway, I, it's just funny. I've just been like sort of, I mean, this last, this past week, I've been kind of militant about my time. Like, I just like don't want to get involved in long conversations or meet with stuff because you kind of, you know, because sometimes you react, right? You spend too much time erring on one side and then it's like you, you have this opposite reaction, right? Well, oh, I'm just looking at microconf.com here and seeing that the tickets are definitely not sold out because you need to type in your email address to be the first to be notified. We've got a we've got a number of emails from people saying that they're going, asking yeah. if we're going. A lot of listeners. What um, do you think? Well, I guess we'll talk about it. I more. can't afford. I can't. I mean, it, it all depends <laughs> if we're if we're invited, good. if we're comped or not. If we're not, I can't. I can't afford it. Right? right. I mean, we just completely wiped out all our savings and all our cash flow so that I could exercise our my remaining Uber options. That must be a nice feeling, though, to have that in the bank. Yeah, it feels good to have zero money in the bank. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean to like I get. I mean, Uber's growing like I think exponentially is a good word here. Yeah, this is a good usage of the word exponentially. Yeah. yeah. So to have to have exercised those options and have them in the bank, very nice. Yeah. Well, so I'm right at this phase phase where it's like I'm waiting for my monthly invoice to be paid from Uber, and I usually pay it you the second Friday for me. Uh-huh. Yeah, that seems to be the payment cycle, but it didn't. But it just turns out this month it didn't get in that cycle. Uh oh. And yeah, we had to write this big check. And Sandy's looking at me. She's like, "You better come in, otherwise, like, we're not gonna be able to pay the mortgage." You know. So it's kind of it's kind of an awkward position to be in. You know. But mm-hmm. you know, it's just uh, for, you don't want to have to go to the in laws and borrow money and all that kind of stuff. So we're kind of like keeping our fingers crossed that the uh, that my Uber paycheck or invoice payment comes in, so that you know I don't ha- we don't start bouncing checks. But yeah, it, it's a relief to finally have exercised the remaining options. They get it out at the current fair market value before, before another 409A market valuation comes in and they become more expensive because the more expensive, the higher the valuation of the options, of the the tax the, the higher tax. And I have to pay regular income tax on yeah. the difference between the strike price that I bought them at and that price. Mm-hmm. And at the rate you're growing, they have 409A valuations frequently. And so you... So we, I, what I want to do is I wanted to wait until after the new year so that I don't have to pay taxes on the difference until 2015, right? Mm-hmm. But you're always rolling the dice like they could do an evaluation, a, a 409A valuation before, right? And you're just like, oh God, I hope this doesn't, nice. I hope this doesn't happen. But it looks like it, uh, it's gone through. I mean, I uh, did you, have you ever bought any uh, Bitcoin? I have one Bitcoin that Ben Ray oh, you got generously you, yeah. gifted me. Yes. I really want to get like 10 Bitcoin by the end of the year, but um, I'm, I'm just really nervous about buying it. Why don't the, you buy... It's 800 right now. It keeps on being about between 8, eight and 900. 8 and 11. I've seen it yeah. up to about 11. I've seen it about like 750, 700 and like a little over 1,000. So... Yeah. Well, why don't you buy... So, you know what? I, uh, that brings up another interesting, another interesting topic. So, um, $100 worth of Litecoin a year ago is now worth 30,000. So Litecoin is another interesting currency to bring on. There's a bunch cheaper. of... I'll send you an email. Um, a, a, a friend of mine is big into altcoins. In fact, 
Ben Reyes, who we've talked about on the show, a listener. Yeah. Who the one, the, 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 uh, he's, the, he's the guy who gave me the Bitcoin, right? He's also the one who invested in Tesla. We've talked about him a number of times. Mm-hmm. Um, I am now, based on that, I'm a Ben Reyes super fan. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, so he's a, he's a, a cryptocurrency uh, uh, aficionado at this point, right? So he emails me periodically about, and he asks me what I think. And I'm like, dude, I don't know that much, but I'll, I'm going to ask that question to a f- friend of mine who knows who's a cryptocurrency trader. And he know he trades on all these cryptocurrency exchanges and knows all these different coins. And so I asked him, I asked, his name's Dom. And I'm like, Dom, what do you think? And so he sent me this long email outlining all the different cryptocurrencies and why he thought they were interesting. <laughs> and so then I said, then I, if I forwarded on to Ben. I'm like, here you go. Like, apparently this is it. And it was like, World coin and net coin and like I mean there was a bunch of them right uh, maybe four or five that he thought were. Could really- you forward that on to me or absolutely would that be break That's confidence? Fine. You know I'll um <coughs> I mean I'll even put it on the website. I mean I'll put a link to uh, maybe what I'll do is I tell you what if if people are interested email me and if. I'll reply with it. And if enough people are actually interested in knowing that, and if this is something people care about, then I'll put a page up on our, on the website and link to it. I think people are interested. I, so? I can speak for people. You really? They're interested. So do that? All right. So this will be, <laughs> this will be uh, my buddy Dom's recommendation. So take that for whatever it's worth. You know? It's probably going to like in, in the lore of the internet, it's probably going to be like one of the most important pages of all kind of all time. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny course. is because he was right about some stuff, even in the short term, like Ben was like, Dom, you know, I didn't act on it fast enough, or I wish I had put it more because, like, Dom had called a few of them, and but I think he, Dom said that uh, there was at least of last as of last week, like a there was a short term, a lot of them crashed a little bit, so it's like buying. It was like it's been buying time oh, to okay. buy some more. Like when they get cheap, it's assuming you believe in this in this investment thesis, right? Yeah. Um, but you know what's interesting is uh, Doggy Coin. You know Doggy Coin. You've heard of Doggy Coin. I have heard of Doggy Coin. With that, the, that. It's about that cute dog, like that everyone loves. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, go on. Yeah. Well, anyway, its volume is through the roof. <laughs> it way surpasses Bitcoin. It's been like amazing. Dog so maybe Dogecoin is going to be our new currency. Well, I, my buddy um, Tariq, when I was up in San Francisco and I had dinner with him, I, I, I mentioned that on the show. I had dinner with him and he was talking. Like he is bit crazy. Like I told you, like he's got the bit madness. I right? just bought a Bitcoin right now because, like, as we had that discussion, I went and looked at Coinbase, and it's like the first time I've seen it at eight hundred. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to get one right now. You you describe that. What do you call that? Like when you buy one every week, it's like you uh, buy it uh, over the volume. Ad, it's like um, uh, it's an average volume weighted average or something. Oh, was it, v- that was it volume yeah. weighted average price? So it's called VWAP or, or averaging in or whatever. <laughs> Yeah, the average. Well, it's like a lot of times, big and um, like big um, investment, uh, like pension funds or fund of funds or I don't know, just um, funds that have access to a lot of capital and they want to build up a position, but they don't want to pay their own traders to get in periodically over time. So they would pay like these smaller hedge funds. Mm. They would say, "We will pay you the volume weighted average price. Like you sell us the volume weighted average price for you know." 200,000 shares of the stock or a million shares of the stock for mm. one day. We'll pay you the VWAP. And so the, the the hedge fund or prop trading firm that takes on that will say, okay, we'll do that. But they think they can beat the VWAP. So they can do better than the VWAP. So they make the difference, right? Mm. Anyway, so because a lot of bigger funds, if you're moving a lot of money, you're like, we're not trying to, to beat it by half a cent away. We just need to get in and out of these positions and we don't want, because we have to move such huge volume, we can't just trade like a million shares because the whole market, if we if we sell a million shares, the whole market's going to run away from us and and we're going to get lower and lower and lower 
price from it, right? Yeah. Or if we buy, the market's going to go, the, the, the ask is going to keep rising, so we're going to pay more. So what you want to do is sneak in there, get little bits over time at random different times at random Price. You were just sorry. I interrupted you. You were talking about your friend Dom, was it? Dom. Yeah. yeah. So he he's nuts about this. He's done really well. He's done really well. I mean, his return is fifty, sixty, seventy x over the wow. last six months or whatever. Oh my lord. Um, he's done extremely well trading. Um, and uh, and you know he's all in that. He's like you know he he's just he's all in it, right? <laughs> like he knows it, and so um. Uh, that's why I, I asked him, I'm like, well, can you, can you give me the lowdown? What do you think is interesting in the altcoin space? That's and cool. so I said, I wish I could act on, I don't have any money because I had to save up all this money for that stupid Uber <laughs> options, you know? And so I'm like, ah, wish I just had like a few thousand dollars to, 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 to put into this stuff. I don't know if they're stupid options. I Not think stupid, cool. but it's, it's just frustrating, right? <laughs> it's just frustrating that I can't, you know, that's why liquidity in general is such a big deal in life because, I think a lot of times what people do is they just put money in the market because they don't know what to do with their money. I would rather have, it's fine if you put it in stocks because you can always take it out at a, at a click of a button. I mean, if it's less than a year and you made profit, then you have to pay regular income tax, at least in the US. But when people put money in real estate and all these kinds of things, it's like incredibly illiquid. And if you don't have money and opportunities just crop up like this, whether it was Tesla or um, Bitcoin stuff, or all these things that we've talked about, we're like, these things look really, really interesting. And it's incredibly uh, useful to have liquidity and be able to take advantage. I mean, that's like how, you know, Buffett has done extremely well. It's like when everyone else is out of money and there's a big recession and everybody's doom and gloom and everything goes down 50, 60, 70%, he just starts buying up because he's the one who has the cash. Yeah. Right. You want to be the guy or the girl <laughs> who has liquid cash when nobody else does, because then you buy everything for 10 cents in the dollar. And uh, likewise, even when things aren't down, but it's like, well, there's opportunities here. I always have investment money to play with. So this yeah. is the finance section of the show. I guess so. This is the, uh, yeah. What did you think about the fact that, uh, I think it was Ben, um, who said we should take the opportunity now to change our name? Was that Ben? I think it was, was somebody it, else. Was it? Unless it was another Ben. Yeah. To Generation Zero? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wish we had thought about this episode before after 250. You know, I mean, you could like, I think you can change the name and like, it doesn't, you don't have to change the feed or anything like that. You, we just change the name on the website and leave the feed uh, alive and it would change the name. Right. If we wanted. Right. Right. What do you think? Change it to generation zero specifically? Uh, no. I liked it. I hate the name texting. <laughs> I always hate it. I mean, <laughs> it's, we could, you know, I mean, it's, it's the worst name for almost anything I've ever heard ever. Other, the only thing that's worse is when Gwyneth Paltrow named her daughter Apple. <laughs> that's like the worst. Right. That's the all-time worst name. All right. Well, I'll, I'll look into it and see what the what the implications are. Yeah, but I I would. Would I you would, change it to Generation Zero then? I, over texting, it's a it's like a infinitely better than texting. I don't know if it's the optimal, but it's infinitely better than texting. It suits. The, I mean, it has the song at the beginning, so then it would make sense. It would. Yeah. All right. Okay. <laughs> So um, anyway, sorry for interrupting. Well, how many Bitcoin do you own at this point? Uh, three right now. You own three? Yeah. You have three times what I got. Look at you. <laughs> well, I've got three point one two, but so, but half of that point one two is yours. Oh right, because you asked me what my Bitcoin address was, and yeah, I didn't respond you, to that. You've given it now. All right, so yeah, um, <clears throat> what I might do is I might take that. I'm going to cash in some of the Bitcoin and buy some altcoin. Oh, that's I'm going nice to go. I'm going to go. I'm going to go get different that. altcoins. I'm going to get an update. Yeah, I might buy like a basket. I might buy like of like the top three or five like doggy coin or like. But where do you, you don't buy doggy coin? 
I'm not listening to you about this. You don't know what you're talking no, about. No, but I'm, I mean, like, Doggy Coin is, is, is a, like a phenomenon. I mean, that's not a real thing. What is a real thing? Is I'm anything just, a real thing? Were you just telling me last week about how nothing's real anyway? No, I know, but I'm just saying, like... <laughs> okay. okay, let me ask you a question. Look, Can I, I, don't know much, I don't know much, but I'm telling you, don't buy Doggy Coin. <laughs> okay, so you heard it on our folks. So we are pegging... This is the peak doggy coin is right now. <laughs> just, it's January, what, 17th. <laughs> We've reached peak doggy coin. <laughs> all right. So all right, I don't anyway. know if I, I don't know if I would go with you on that, but all right. I, I, I'm just going to, I think I'm going to have to not listen to you. Okay. Because I was, my buddy Tariq, I, I, when I was in San Francisco, he was all in about doggy. He was talking about doggy coin for no one's heard about it. And if I had said, yeah, that's a good idea. You'd I would be rich. I would, if I had said like, yeah, I'll go put a thousand dollars for that. I would be one happy guy. I'm going to go, he, he may have just retired. Tariq may have just retired. <laughs> he probably put like 5,000 in. He probably, he's probably but done. Isn't Doggy Coin just like a, a, a pretend thing? I mean, it's... Isn't a fiat currency kind of a pretend thing? The only thing that matters about currency is that other people take it seriously. If other people take it seriously, then it's real, wow. right? If you can convert in some way a currency... Whether it's a to another whatever, currency, to another currency, and that currency into products and services, it's, real. it's as real as anything else. All right, you know. Okay. I mean, it's just it's just this little. All right. Well, you buy a thousand worth of doggy coin, and we'll see how well, it goes. I don't have a thousand right a thousand right now, but uh, I don't know. Maybe we get a few more donations in. <laughs> <laughs> we get some more donations. I'm gonna start buying some doggy coin or whatever. <laughs> but I gotta call Tariq and find out what's up with him. Well, I'm gonna go up to, I'm going up to San Francisco next week. Yeah. So I'm definitely going to hook up with Tariq, and he'll he'll give me all the inside scoop on everything that's going on. All right, well, give give it to us. So he he probably isn't going to want to send that out to the whole world, right? Who Tariq? Because what? I don't know. Other than it's going to it's going to imbalance the market when all the people who no, it's the best a- thing. The best thing is you no, know, because that's why they, they, they like when you go on like CNBC, you watch these business shows, and these guys, these hedge fund and pension fund managers start come on, and they say, "Well, we put money in this and that." They call it talking their book. Right, so if I if I invested in Apple, for instance, and I go on, I start talking about how Apple has is going to have a huge, you know, big move and everything, that I'm effectively moving in my favor, right? That should be the illegal. Old, people, I mean, no, they just say like I've invested in it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like you know, I so basically, if I could, I could. You're, what you're suggesting is that I can't talk about how I invested in something and why I think it's a good idea. You don't think you think that should be illegal? No. No, I don't. Okay. So I'm glad we got that cleared up. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to get the inside scoop from Tariq. So between Tariq and Dom, I, I got the, uh, yeah. So the, uh, the other thing is, um, one thing, just, just to round off the, the whole cryptocurrency discussion, mm-hmm. there is a, uh, something called proof market where people could pay for proofs using Bitcoin. Like I want this proved, you know, this, this algorithm and people were actually like, it's sort of like a bounty market for doing math different types of oh, all right. math proofs. Proof org. Let's see. So I had this bookmarked a few weeks ago and I keep for, kept forgetting to bring it up. But uh, yeah, create a new problem, add a bounty, wait for someone to solve the problem on recent entries, pay the price in Bitcoin, going if the solver sets a strictly positive price, see the proof. I saw, I saw a bounty on Stack Overflow, but it's like, the, did you see the bounties on Stack Overflow? I haven't. So basically... You can put up a bounty of your own points mm. for someone else to answer the question. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> it's kind of a clever idea, right? So I'll give my points. Does it work? Has he read Well, it? I, I guess it works. I mean, it's like people people want to gain Stack Overflow points. So they'll get, not only will they get the points for answering the question, they'll get, and you, I think you can put up to like 100 points or even more. I'm not sure, but hmm. it's an interesting concept. Yeah, because I guess if you have a problem that, 
would require a little bit of research and maybe um, more especially, work than we want to put in. Especially you know? esoteric ones where, like, because there's a lot of, there's, I've noticed recently there's a lot of categories where there's just kind of a question hanging in midair about something very esoteric. Right. And there's no real kind of group of people to, to kind of weigh in on it. Yeah. So those kind of questions could be good for that. Yeah, and no, I like it. I think it's reasonable. You know, it brings up another topic that I meant to uh, meant to bring up. There was a um, blog post by Fred Wilson, Union Square Ventures. Yeah, him a, is a avc.com is his blog, and it was um, called. Uh, he had a blog post called "The Mutual Company," mm-hmm. and it was talking about how I guess I guess back I don't know eighties or something, not that long ago, but. Oh, oh, you know, not that recently. They had like companies that were owned by essentially the um, the customers, like mutual, like insurance companies. Yeah, so it was called a mutual company or something. And I'm not exactly sure. I'd have to look on Wikipedia exactly what that is, but I didn't have time to look it up. So I'll leave that exercise as an exercise for the listener. But a mutual company is that it was owned by the customers, right? So everybody benefited. And what they were what he was referring to is this issue that like. You have these companies where people are creating content, but they're not really benefiting financially. And a perfect example is Stack Overflow, right? Or something like a Snapchat or Instagram or Facebook. So these companies are making money because people are creating content, but and they're not just making a living; they're making hundreds of millions, oh, billions yeah. of dollars. Yeah, it's a massive imbalance, which is kind of an interesting concept. So, you know, and I, and and I had an idea one of the things that I'm working on is kind of like, or I've been thinking about was that, okay, so if you have a site that is based on requiring like um, uh, crowdsourcing, people working together on it. Generated user content. Generated user content. There you go. Thank you. Um, Should you set up an incentive, a financial incentive or not? So the, the problem is that when you bring money into the equation, people behave very differently and start getting petty and greedy and think bad things can happen, right? And also you have like people who are doing it for the love of it all of a sudden get this weird feeling about it, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and uh, I don't have any good examples offhand. I wish I did. Um, but, you know, they would talk about that in economics all the time. Yeah, but there's, there, there are a lot of networks um, out there that do paid content. Um, what was one called? I can't remember the name of it right now. But they don't, they, they don't work. I mean, they don't, they don't create such good content. Because people are just very mercenary and they just kind of, like, for example, a knowledge-based one. What was it called? Helium? Mm-hmm. I, he, I think it was called, he, maybe it's helium.com. Mm-hmm. And basically they just go, they just go out and like copy and paste from Wikipedia or whatever. and just trying to create content to create money. So it's basically pulling in the wrong crowd. Which is unfortunate, right? Because yeah. in some sense you'd be like, you, you know, you'd, you'd want to be able to like financially reward people who were adding a lot of value to company. But, but if you do, then all of a sudden you bring in the wrong people and everything fails. It doesn't work. But it depends on the financial reward, financial reward model. Like if it was more along the lines of that footprint stuff that we were talking about, and it was like you were getting some piece of equity and it wasn't really an actual, you know, for, for dollar that value. Make any that diff- could be I don't know if that makes any difference though. Probably not. I mean, I mean it's still anything, anything, something becomes money or transferable into money. It's equivalent to money, right? So if I have, if I own shares in Uber, and since there's some liquidity there, that's a that's a useful that's a, that's equivalent to money. And so people do get a benefit from uh, like writing on Stack Overflow. I mean, you know, your Stack Overflow profile is beneficial. It can help you get work. You know, it's there's also intrinsic motivation. You know, for like yeah, so there's the kind of badge, the badging system, and you'll feel good about that. Well, it's for the love of it too. 
People yeah. just enjoy it, right? Well, it's the same reason that people take pictures on Snapchat or Instagram or whatever. People are doing this because they love it. People answer questions because they enjoy writing questions. People like writing Wikipedia because they enjoy so it. So why, why is it, I mean, why is it something that you think about? Like what? No, it was just in that article because he was saying how there's that, that imbalance, right? Yeah. So there are people by people, a number of companies that are based on the crowd and the user-generated content are becoming billionaires. And he's wondering, is that right? But the problem is, is there might not be a way to really fix that, change that without ultimately causing the product to fail. One way of looking at it, I mean, you could look at it through the lens of like, it sounds a little bit like slave labor, <laughs> which is a bit weird, you know? I mean, you are, paying, you, you are not paying people anything and they're building a billion dollar business for you. But at the same time, okay, so now on all flip sides. Right. Okay, at the same time, slavery is mandatory. If you're a slave, you have if you're to enslaved, yeah. you have no choice, right? right. You're, you're not employed. You don't have to do anything. It's totally on your, your own volition, you know, at your own level, right? And people who do commit to these things, they get something out of it. They get a sense of pride. They get a sense of, of respect or community or they get a spect of, of recognition or whatever. So people do get something out of it that they like. But you could argue that some people are addicted and don't have a choice. And so those people who are addicted are not benefiting in any way from the system. Yeah, see, that's a very nanny state way of looking at things. So I, <laughs> I, I assume that people are adults and they're capable of making their own decisions. You know, if people can't make their own decisions and they're adults, then, then they shouldn't really have many rights, right? Because they really can't make decisions for themselves, right? <laughs> it would be interesting to find out, though. I mean, I really would like to know. I'd like to see a documentary about it. To find, like, maybe some of those people who are just absolutely the top scorers, like... You know, to, to maintain that top score, they have to, you know, they have to work really hard. They have to go through and answer like 30 questions a day, right? Keep on getting 100 points. Oh, like John Skeet, he's like the Stegroflow superhero, right? He's a .NET guy. He's yeah. really well-known. Um, yeah, he just is a answers on the train for the fun of it when he's coming and going yeah. to work. I don't know. Okay. Okay, so next, let's see. Next. Oh, next. Uh, so this is the, here's looking at you, kid. All right. Segment about the NSA, right? That's our new uh, oh, yeah, NSA yeah. segment. Here's looking at you, kid. Um, so a the NSA devises radio pathway into computers, codename Quantum. Have you heard about that? Yes, awesome. So they you can. So what they've done, to, they've, they've affected about 100,000 computers worldwide, although they deny that any of them are in the U.S. But what they've done is they've installed either through USB cards or on the boards themselves, tiny radio transmitters. So even if... The, there's no connection to the internet. The data flowing through the computer is being sent to radio signal, signals that are being picked up by these NSA listening devices. And you remember I was talking to one, uh, I was talking to a couple weeks ago, they had this sort of thing that they could put like up to eight miles away and it could just kind of listen in to, I think it was like Wi-Fi signals and any kind of information coming out of computer. I can't remember all of it, but I don't think it was exact. It wasn't the same thing with like the leaking of the, keys using the uh, microphone but mm -hmm. it was similar in the sense that it could sniff out wi-fi from like um eight miles away anyway oh no that's a, that's another lovely lovely beautiful piece of uh, technology <laughs> awesome um hey speaking of lovely beautiful pieces of technology you know what I, you know what i've been coding in lately i'm gonna guess. guess go nope i get two more guesses okay python nope Good guesses, though. Um, Don't look at my... You're, no, I'm not looking. I'm you not did. Looking. You look at my notes. I, I, <laughs> my eyesight isn't that okay, good. Okay, now okay. guess. Okay, go, Python. Um, can, I, can I have a clue? Like, is it, is it 
JavaScript based? No. Okay, so it's not CoffeeScript, for example. Um, Go Python or what is the other cool one that's coming out? Rust. R- yeah. I, 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 let's say Rust. No. Okay, what is it? Java. Oh, Java. Old school. Oh, I, that's I went going old, old school. So I was do, I've been doing this little uh, project, consulting project for a company called Mighty Hive. I'm friends with the um, CEO, yeah. Pete. Um, and initially I was, I was starting to build it in Node, but they all used Java there, right? And so... It was, it was obvious that at some point it was going to have to be converted into Java for them to be able to maintain it and extend it or mm-hmm. whatever. And I, I was building a, Java, a node at first just to kind of get off the ground and get something fast, prototype yeah. up. But one thing I noticed was that whenever you do something that has a lot of series of steps, sequences, and especially when those operations are individually done asynchronously, asynchronously it becomes a nightmare. And you have all these sort of like hacks. You can use certain libraries like... Pull back uh, help async or whatever that like but it's still kind of gross compared to like writing things just using normal synchronous programming languages and i got it working but then node was kind of blowing up under the um under the amount of uh, memory that was taking up hmm. so i was doing transactions i was importing these csv files into postgres and these weren't even going to be the biggest files but they would be uh 250,000 inserts for instance, on a single commit, you know, right? Um, Too much, you know, a single transaction, and Node just kind of threw its hands up and said, "Forget it." Wow. And now I don't know if it was just maybe some memory settings on my particular machine or whatever, but I I was talking with their CTO Lexi, and I and I said, "Why don't we just try and convert this thing to Java?" Because I'm not sure if it's Node or not, and you know, let's give it a shot. And so I. I you know, with a little work for him, he's, he helped me. So he set up IntelliJ as his ID on my machine. And and uh, the Drop so Drop Wizard is the framework that Yammer created, which is, mm-hmm. makes it really a really nice framework. Um, and it is really nice. I have to say with the, with the IntelliSense, with the, the, you know, with the, with the code, with the, you know, the code sensing. Auto-complete thing. stuff. Auto-complete yeah. stuff, right. Auto-complete stuff. And I, you know, cause I, re- I wrote a lot of C++ back in the day and I wrote a lot of, um, I did Java background 99, 2000 for a while. So I'm not unfamiliar with it, but I didn't get into the whole enterprise Java beans stuff. And then I did a lot of .NET and .NET really much copied Java, but now Java copied back. <laughs> like I think it was some of the things that. Some of the clever things that they did. Yeah. Yeah. The things that they did, the generics or whatever. And I have to say, the code that I wrote was so much easier to understand because it was synchronous. And I don't think there was really any kind of a noticeable speed difference because it was, it was I.O. bound anyways, reading these ginormous 100, 200 megabyte CSV files and inserting them into a database. So it was really my I.O. work. Yeah. It was a speed issue. But in terms of the how easy it was to read the code and follow it like one step after another, having to write things that are like sort of going through some callback loop and some state variables that keep track of what index you're on. I mean, it's just really, it's really hard to make that code easy to read and easy to understand. Mm-hmm. Whereas this code is like any idiot who can <laughs> read any Java could understand this in, in 15 minutes, 10 minutes. Any so idiot. it was funny. I was resistant at first because, you know, we couldn't, he, he had him log into my system because he was going to install this stuff and get intelligent, get everything kind of set up for me. So I didn't waste a bunch of hours doing that. No. Um, and uh, once I got going, though, it's like the first thing was like, ah, how do I wait? I'm trying to create this. I'm trying to iterate through a map or a hash map. And how do I do that? And, you know, you first 
all the little basic things you just know how to do automatically or just don't you get bored of compiling oh it just it's automatically it just oh, it does uh, that? It like auto compiles like when oh, you great. run and it's just you know i mean i guess if you had a ginormous project but it's, it's pretty much instantaneous um but i have to say i i i was like lexi i'm a believer like i <laughs> I, I i'm now really enjoying i have to say i'm really enjoying working in java and using intellij <laughs> uh um ide really really nice well, that's cool you just opened up your employment options I guess so, but uh, <laughs> you know, it's just that. Yeah, sometimes it's fun. I mean, it felt it was like it was like it was like uh, putting on an old shoe or something. You know, like you, once you got once you got familiar with it again, you're like, oh, okay, all right, I remember that. This I wasn't expecting you to say Java. I must admit, I really was expecting something totally new and fandangled. Yeah, I would call this retro. Yeah, so I totally went retro. But you know, he <laughs> said because Lexi was pointing out to me, he's like, you know, the thing is that Java kind of fell off the rails there, and they just got totally over the top with. Um, all their enterprise Java beans and the complexity of the dev stacks and you know, everything. It just got, it just got crazy. And I guess, you know, with this drop wizard being an example was a nice succinct, clean framework made it pleasant to use because Java, the language is fine. Mm -hmm. You know, it's almost like, it's like writing JavaScript, but it's more like type, you know, it's like it's static type. Is yeah. Yeah. Type. Um, and, uh, and when you have a really good uh, code completion stuff built in, you don't need to remember everything. You don't remember it still happens, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I just thought that was kind of funny how I was doing it. And I was like, yeah, this feels so 1999. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Nice. So um, let's see. So what's what, where are we time-wise? Uh, we got a couple of minutes. Maybe just uh, wrap up the let's show see. with a couple of funny links and uh, I just want to say happy two stories. Things. So there's no news yet on any foo. We haven't heard right, anything from yeah. Dave. So just to give people an update. So Dave Wasmer is we brought him on, Jess and I brought him on to help with the marketing business side. Um, and uh, so we basically gave him free reign. We just said, hey, you know, you do what you need to do. You let us know whatever you need from us. And mm -hmm. he's, you know, kept us, we get a periodic update from him once every couple of weeks. But I haven't really heard anything in the past, was it been a week and a half? So week yeah, I think I have to do some sysop stuff, don't I? We should yeah, do that because I'm sure he's not yeah. being held up. Yeah. But so there's nothing yet. So I don't know. Um, as I know people are kind of wondering. I get emails about any food all the time, like yeah. what's going on. So I'm like, I, I don't really know either. I see. I don't want to pressure him. I felt like I pressured him a little bit the holidays, but I sent him an email, um, and I didn't mean to pressure him. And you know, I, I so I'm just like, hey, you know, whatever, man. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if it's, it's it's up to you. Let us know if you need what you need from well, us. Well, we've but, got to be honest. We've got another year before we need to worry about refiling. Yeah, we exactly. So. I mean, ideally, what we had hoped would happen was that we would know, because he brought him on kind of the end of October, or that's when the really discussions were, we hoped that we'd have like six weeks to see if he could do anything that would be worth keeping the company around. Yeah, exactly. Because the company costs, costs some cash to keep it up. And up yeah, and it costs about $2,500 a year, LLC fees and counting fees and everything, right? Yeah. So, I guess I owe you that, do I? Well, we got to do that stuff yeah. this year. So, yeah, okay. we're going to have to do it. But um, so it would have been ideal, but it, as it turned out, we just didn't have enough time to answer that question. Mm -hmm. So now it's like, well, <laughs> we keep it around another three months or we keep it around another nine, ten months. Or yeah, no well, months we're going to keep difference. it for a year now. So. so Catalyst, there's not a whole update, although we're down to about seven, six or seven kids. But the kids, we're, we're, we've got to the point where we're doing games. We're, we're very close to moving forward with their game. Um, really, it was just... Did, did we start anyone's game last week, this week? Uh, yeah, the other day, Colby and Liam are starting on their games. Okay. 
So I made Colby start. He and I had worked on his game, but I made him start from scratch because we haven't done much work on it. It was getting, I think we kind of painted ourselves in a corner because I wanted to keep things easy, but then I realized it wasn't going the right direction. I said, all right, Colby, you got to do this one from scratch yourself. Yeah. Like, I don't want to. We're still getting that old chestnut of the arrays, just basically teaching that to them. That was what we did last lesson. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, we want a map-based game for all of them. Yeah. It's just with an array. and we're just- Like a grid. Well, we'd be like a simple... Wouldn't be a scrolling grid, a simple, like, okay, there are 20 squares by 20 squares or 50 squares or 50 squares, and you can move a character around and they do something. Like, that's game one. Yeah. So Sophie and some others just got up to the point where they would begin, they'd created a one dimensional array and we were just about to draw squares onto the screen. Right. And basically, you had said in the first square was the guy, in like the third square was a sword, and in somewhere, like the somewhere, tenth square yeah. was a monster. Right? right. So it's like, okay, like I was trying to think, like, what would be the simplest version of this? So it's mm-hmm. like, okay, it'd be either to have one dimensional than this two dimensional array. Right. And then if we could just have, they'll move a character up and down, back and forth on the squares, and like they, maybe if they pick something pick up, a up sword, and they can fight the monster and they the can monster, win. Yeah. If they don't, they get eaten. Yeah. Or maybe we do it's like, okay, you have to pick up the sword, or maybe what you do is you have to get the key, and then you have to go back. To unlock the sword, to get the sword, to go like you could go after a couple iterations of logic, yeah. do something silly, and then we could do two dimensional, and then you get two dimensional scrolling, but you just build on it. But yes. I want the kids to feel a sense of of um, real ownership of the code because if it's too hard, then you and I are going to spend too much time kind of doing it for them by pointing at things and constantly guiding them. So a sense that they don't really know how it's working. It's mm-hmm. just you and I kind of coding, and we don't want that to happen. Yeah. So. So that's where we are with Catalyst. But I'll say about thing. It's much easier now with seven kids. Oh. Right? No question. It's much easier. It's more fun. It's more relaxed. And since we're under games, I'm not really worried about creating challenges. I'm just like, all right, you guys work on your game. And, and then I don't have to do a lot of prep work for it. And we just show up and we just work on our games, which is more fun. It's less stressful. It's less work. Mm-hmm. And then there's three of us. There's you and I and uh, Liam's dad, Chris, who's also going to set a program. He's a Python coder, so he's not quite as familiar with the JavaScript environment, but he's... He's also been building a game in his uh, in his own spare time as well oh, for himself. Right. Yeah, yeah. What was he doing like a little space invaders? Something thing? like that. Yeah, space yeah, invaders. Yeah, yeah. Nice. So uh, I don't know. It's, it's been fun, right? Yeah, I've enjoyed Great. it. Um, and uh, so let's see. the The last thing I wanted to bring up, and this is a short thing, is like I meant to bring this up a number of times, but I guess there was an interview with Paul Graham, and I think this kind of got lost in a lot of the. Um, wait, did we talk about the girl? But, not the whole, um, not the whole female entrepreneur thing, but um, why certain companies failed or not? Did we talk about that? Um, was it to do with energetic execution? Yes, I guess we did talk. Yeah, about that, we, we did talk about it. Yeah, yeah. I've just been keeping that in my mind a lot. Like that is the key. That is like the almost the most important quality. It's not about team or idea or technology or space or it's energetic execution. Energetic execution that doesn't give up. Well, that's the thing. Yeah, it's like, yeah, it's persistent. Yeah. Persistently pushing on something. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and right, and the, and the one key thing about it, it's easier to have energetic execution when there's two people, right? Like, you probably would not have done, if, if, if we had never met, you probably would have not done a podcast of 252 episodes. Definitely not. You might have done 10 or 15 Justin yeah, Vincent I, interviews yeah, maybe. or 20. Like, yeah. It's hard to do. Without. It is. I mean, you make it easy, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean that in the best possible way. <laughs> Just run my mouth like a motorboat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, the, um, 
Well, you make it easy too. Well, because I'm just taking care of the stuff you know that you don't want to do, and you take care of the stuff that I don't want to do. Well, that's the key for team is complementary skill sets, right? Right. You, you're, I think you're really good, like uh, host. You kind of frame everything nicely, (laughs) right? Thanks, that's very sweet. Well, I just if it was just me, uh, if I was if if you weren't here, I'd just be all over the damn place, and I'd stay in the same pocket topic for an hour, and we just (laughs) uh, yeah, you kind of keep things structured and and everything, and. Of course, you do all of the the audio work and all of the uploading and all that stuff, which is, of course, that's very important. kind. This is a mutual appreciation. Yes, society right well. now. <laughs> um, uh, so having a part, so energetic execution is like the number one thing. But having a, a partner or partners, I think one partner is really good. The three partners is tricky, but you can do it with three partners. But it has to be three really good partners. You have to so be careful. Everybody's all in. Why are you thinking about it? Because you've got projects with partners right now, or yeah, it helps. Okay, it helps great. because well, it just depends. You have to have the right partner. A partners partners can just as easily kill it. Mm-hmm. If you have the wrong partner, it's going to die. It's like a death sentence. And then a darn partner doesn't mean that they're lazy or evil or stupid. It just means that they have either a not complementary skill sets that don't help move things forward. So you end up just fighting over doing the, the only things that you want to do or can do. Um, or it's like the problem of, you know, finding a workout partner and then the workout partner like quits after three weeks mm-hmm. <laughs> or never shows up. And so you're like, I thought we were going to like run every day and then they don't come and then it makes you rationalize not doing it. Either. Well, I know on one project you're back working with Guyon again now, right? Yes. Now, what I like about that is we know that Guyon will work with you for three years on something. So we know that that's not yeah. going to end, right? So all I'm hoping is, is that whatever you guys are working and beavering away at building, that it's not a project that's going to last no, three years. No, no, no. You we're, guys are going to get we're it looking, We're looking, We're looking to go into a, uh, a beta uh, in February. That's, that's, the that's there's, awesome. There's three of us. And well, Guyon is, Guyon is money, as I've said, you know, he's right, money. I mean, right. Guyon is so smart and so competent and so easy to work with. I mean, yeah, I mean, you, if you could find someone like a Guyon, <laughs> you know, you're in good shape. Um, but, um, and of course, on top of that, we're friends. Like we're, I, you know, I always enjoy talking to him. So it yeah. makes it very, it's, an, it's just a pleasant process. So having a, a partner helps the energetic execution. It maintains it. But the other thing is, um, is being, is not trying to go after the two or three project, two or three year project, you know, and that's, it's an article that I've been meaning to write. And I think it's an important one is, and I mentioned it before on the show at times, but he's like, you have to beware of your enthusiasm half-life. We all have different amounts of time that we can sustain our enthusiasm, our madness for something. Some yeah. people, I mean, it's like a week. A weekend. I mean, you've mm-hmm. met people who are like, they fired up on something for a week and then you never hear about it again. And there are some people who can do it for like a year or two. But you, it gets a really rare when you get too far beyond that where you can go a year or two or three with working on the same damn thing, not releasing it, and you don't have some sort of external, extrinsic framework that keeps you moving forward. Either like you're getting a paycheck, so you show up anyway, or you're in a PhD program, so you're, you're part of an institution, you have an advisor, and you're not getting that PhD. Well, you have people you using it. the software. Yeah. So that you get getting live feedback and it's, you know, it's ongoing. Well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. You release it. Yeah, you release right? it. Yeah, you're right. And the thing about the enthusiasm half-life is it can, you have to look at yourself and be honest, like what, you know, how long can I do this pure, purely off my own enthusiasm without any um, validation from the rest of the world or money? Like once you start getting revenue from the world, that can keep that's you foundation. going. Yeah. Right. But then they keep you going. It's like, dude, I'm getting paid. Like I, even if it's making a thousand dollars a month, it's like a thousand dollars a month, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, 
good thing of having a Plugio is that you got it out of the gate after two or three months and you started getting money. So even if you got sick of Plugio and you didn't care about it, I mean, you were making thousands of dollars a month. So it was like, you know, yeah, you're going to do it. Yeah. So anyway, but all that said, and you know, we've talked about all these things, but I would say the top three things, number one, energetic execution, two, find a complimentary high quality partner that you trust who has this who has pretty much the same goals yeah. who you can work with. And three is whatever project you pick, make sure it, that their release dates and however it can be done fit within your enthusiasm half-life. So it's like most, one of the most important things you sh- in, in life is know thyself, right? I think that could be a really good blog post, the enthusiasm half-life. I think, I think that it could, it could really go hand in hand with the madness and it's it would be a great new uh thing after the lock surface area mm-hmm. so it could be a great meme i don't know if there is an enthusiasm half-life meme going out there yeah so i think you should probably do that yeah it was uh, i've been yeah. thinking about it for a while i've talked i initially talked about it because my buddy matt pat matt, pat, pat, pat maddox no yeah. not matt, matt uh, pat maddox <laughs> sorry pat if you're listening <laughs> uh we just had lunch last week actually he um he's uh he would always um, he would come with projects and he would work on them for a short period of time. Like he, he seemed like he had enthusiasm half-life of about three to four weeks, <laughs> maybe six weeks. And That's I was like, enough. dude, like you can do that. I mean, there are projects you can release, but they better be really tiny. Or he's just got to find something that he really, really likes. Really likes. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's the thing is that he, I felt like he would talk him into being self into being interested in something mm-hmm. where I, I could kind of feel like that just to me, it doesn't feel like you really believe that's awesome. You think it's mm-hmm. kind of like, you know, we can all kind of talk ourselves into being interested in something for a short period of time, or we can take an interest in something like, oh, that's a neat little problem. I want to mess around with that. But that's different. That's different than being just completely having the madness about it, you know, and, mm-hmm. and being like, this is something that I truly am excited about. But yeah. yeah. Anyway, well, I guess that's, that should be probably cut it off here, right? <laughs> Sure. <laughs> so you guys, you guys get to go out. You're getting ready to go out, right? Go yeah. out and just hit go out town. And party. And- yeah. <laughs> Have a lot of fun. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, I guess that's a wrap. We're out. <laughs> <laughs>